Stand with me for reading to God's Word. It says, Mark chapter 11, verse 15. It says this, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Let's pray. We ask that your spirit would teach us and that we would learn from you. God, we ask that you would teach us how to be people who worship you and not simply consumers who take. We ask that you would teach us how to understand that life is about you and not about us. And when we focus on who you are, our lives become what they are supposed to be. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the Gospel of John. Last week, if you were here, we talked about uh, Jesus making 180 gallons of wine and how he drank some of that. So we talked about that. If you missed it, you can get it online. Apparently, they had a lot of laughs last week, which is good. Remember those laughs because you're not going to get a lot this week because we're just going to go to town because Jesus is very serious today. We're going to jump in. As we jump in, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. The first one is this. Why are you here today? Why are you here? And most of you are like, okay, I'll just leave. No, I don't want you to leave. But honestly, you've got to ask the question, why are you here? Most people don't ask that question Enough. What is your motive? What are you seeking? What do you want? Why do you go through the inconvenience of getting up and getting down here if you have a family, of getting your family ready and coming to this place here? And the second question is this. What did you bring? What did you bring? And I know that you guys are like, oh, he's going to take my money. Yes. That's... (laughs) Why are you here? What did you bring? That is what we're going to come back to at the very end. So keep that in mind as we go. Open your Bibles to John chapter 2. I know we've been in John five or six weeks, and this is chapter 2. This is starting in verse 12. 2.12. It says, After this, Jesus just turned water into wine, like I said, and he brings great joy at a wedding, and he frustrates Baptists the world over. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. Anybody here raised Catholic? Anybody? Okay. We're just going to shoot something in the head right now. As you're a Catholic, you're told that Mary is the Blessed Virgin. She was always a virgin. Isn't that so wonderful, right? Not for Joseph, okay? It's not a good deal for him. <laughs> Getting married to a virgin is, is great. Being married to a virgin, not so good and can be painful. So here you see that Jesus, he has brothers, Okay, he has he has brothers, and even if you went to public school like me, you can put two and two together and understand how that works. Mary wasn't an eternal virgin, and Joseph didn't have to be medicated. So, there they stayed for a few days. I'm just trying to give you guys the whole scope of God's word. Okay, there they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. This is a big deal. Passover is a big deal for Jews. This is the largest celebration of the Jewish people. In the Exodus, God comes and he delivers his people from death and slavery and bondage, and he gives them freedom to go out and worship him. It works like this. Moses is out working as a shepherd. God shows up, and he scorches some shrubs, and he says, I want you to go and set my people free. You're going to be their redeemer. And so Moses shows up, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, set God's people free. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God gives him some signs, some things to do. And after he goes through all these, Pharaoh keeps saying no. And then the very last sign that God gives uh, Moses to do is this thing called the plague of the firstborn. There is an angel that goes over and God says, I am going to take and kill every firstborn male to make them let you go. 
And so what you guys do is you take the blood of a lamb and you put it on your doorposts and your door frames, and that angel is going to pass over your home. You will get life instead of death. Hence, blood of the lamb covering us, bringing us life instead of death. See how it all goes forward and foreshadows Jesus when he comes. It looks like that. So he gives them this freedom. God grace, God's grace passes over them. And they celebrate this Passover in accordance to how God told them. You go thousands of years later, even into this day, people still celebrate Passover. And in Jesus' day, they are doing this. All Jews would want to go to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate Passover if they could. If they could. Jesus goes here because if you're an able-bodied Jew and you are over 19 years of age and you live within 15 miles of the temple, you are required to go. But even Jews from faraway lands, they all want to go to the temple at some point. It is their dream to at some point go to the temple and worship Passover at the temple. And so you see in, in the Gospel of John, you see Jesus celebrates three Passovers. That's why we believe that Jesus had a three-year ministry. The first one is here. There's one a little bit later. And the last one is right before his crucifixion. And that last one is where we get the idea of the Last Supper, where we take our idea from communion from. And as we come to God in communion, we hopefully examine ourselves like the Jews were supposed to examine themselves when we lay our sins at the cross of Christ. And Jews at the Passover would examine themselves and their homes and their lives, and they would lay everything at the temple during Passover. They would do everything they could to get rid of iniquity, so much so that yeast was seen as a form of, of sin because it would make things rise. And so they would even at this point get rid of yeast in their houses for all of you that bake. Okay? And so Jesus comes, though, and he knows that, that there's not just the sin in their life, and it's not just the sin in their home, but the sin in the religion that needs to be cleansed. And so this is why he comes. He shows up at the temple to do that. Verse 14, in the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, this seems very simple, right? But it's a very huge problem. The temple has animals, and they're making noise, and there are negotiations going on. It's like a big flea market here. And people, we look at this, and we say, well, well, yeah, it's always bad when religion goes after money and becomes corrupt. This is true, but it's not that simple as what's happening here. The problem here, I would say, is lazy worshipers. Lazy worshipers. Deuteronomy tells them that, that they're to bring their sacrifices to the temple. Now, granted, some people couldn't raise animals because they lived in a town. But if you lived out and you raised something, you're supposed to bring it to the temple as your sacrifice with you. These are animals. The animals in the temple are the ones that God prescribed to be the animals for sacrifices, but the people were to raise their own for sacrifices. And then they're supposed to transport it. Is it hard transporting an animal on foot any length of space? Anybody have a dog? Anybody ever try to put a cat on a leash? Okay, that's what's going on. And because they were lazy, it caused a business to be made in the temple to do what they were supposed to do. It's supposed to work like this. Uh, you raise an unblemished animal. It is the best of your herd. There is nothing on it, no marks. It's like beautiful. And this is something that you're very proud of, that you could probably sell at market for a lot of money. And you were to take this, and you were supposed to bring that animal to the temple. Maybe you even love this animal. Maybe it, it's like a pet. And you take this animal, and you travel maybe 50 miles on foot, with your sheep, your lamb, and you're like, come on, and you very inconvenient. Then you get to the temple, and what they do, they, they carry it to the top, and they sacrifice it, and the blood flows out of it. You're all, oh, well, that's great. The sacrifice was a grievous moment where we look at and we realize our sin caused this. This is why sin is so bad. It caused things like this to happen. We need to be covered with the blood of the lamb. 
Sin is very grievous, and it comes at great cost. And so you have people say, well, this is difficult. is isn't easy. So how about I just show up with a whole bunch of cash, I find somebody who raised one of their own, and I'll just buy it. And then the priest can kill it, I can go home, yay. And it loses all the significance that it was meant to have when Jesus came and died for his people because it came about buying it in money. And so lazy worshipers wanted to buy and paper something that was to do what they were supposed to do. It sounds nothing like us today. We pay people to work in a church that are to teach your kids who God is, how to worship, how to pray. That's your job. That is your job. And yet we think, oh, well, I'll just pay somebody else to do it. They don't have to do it. No, you are supposed to do it. We're supposed to come along beside you. People, oh, we'll pay a pastor and he'll worship for us. No, that's your job. It becomes down to lazy worship. This is how it's going to go this morning, so you guys are just in for it, okay? And this here is drives commerce out of control. People want a convenience, not worship. You know the biggest thing in churches today is a 30 to 45-minute service. I talk for that long, so you're never going to get that. Sorry. Uh, they want little convenience, minimal cost. It's, it's fine for Burger King or McDonald's, but that's not okay for Jesus. Okay, Jesus gives us inconvenience. He gives us sacrifice so we know how to grow into this kingdom of God. This week, uh, I was over at Joy and Save and Shop. And Joy has like all of these issues coming up with the, with the tattoo festival. And she's like, what's going on? And this is, uh, and I'm like, wow, God's inconveniencing her. So she grows in the kingdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> she's like, no. Okay. So I actually sat down with Joy and Satan this weekend and we prayed about this. And some things started falling into place. But God is taking and he's training and he's growing us. I mean, we get this whole bizarre idea that everything's supposed to go wonderful. Oh, Jesus loves me, so then I have no problems. No, Jesus loves you, so he allows things into your life so we grow and become the people we're supposed to be. So this is it. We get together and we're praying at stuff. These people here at this place, this is why Jesus is angry, because they wanted worship that was lazy without sacrifice, and they wanted worship that was simple and convenient. Those are the issues. So now a business comes in to do the jobs that worshipers were supposed to do. Like today, we're all supposed to pro- proclaim the name of Jesus. Okay? And so instead of doing that, what we do is we write Jesus on our clothes. We come up with stupid little sayings wearing our clothes. We stick bumper stickers on our cars. So we don't really have to look. We hand out tracts. So we don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. We try and get somebody else to do it for us. Because businessmen get involved and things just get out of control. At this place, things got out of control because the businessmen get involved, and all of a sudden, the, the price of these animals in the temple for their sacrifices get exorbitant. So as William Barclay says, the cost of a dove in the temple was 20 times the actual value. This is like a hamburger at Disneyland, right? You show up, and they say, no outside food or drink. You go into Disneyland, and you're hungry, I want a hamburger and a Coke, and they say, that's $4,000. And you say, how am I supposed to do it? You get you in and they jack you. In the temple, what happens is this robs the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized from the ability to worship God. And this makes Jesus angry. If you were somebody who raised your own lamb, dove, you know, something, and you took it to the temple, you got all the way there, then it has to be inspected by the priest when you get there. So the priest comes and look at it. Does it meet the requirements for the sacrifice? Over time, these priests become corrupt. They maybe even uh, get paid by the guys selling the animals to reject yours. It's, oh, that's not good enough. But Joe over here, Joe, have you seen his stall? He's got great sheep in his stall. He'll buy yours for like two bucks. And he'll send you this one for like 5000 And then you can take that and we'll, oh, don't, we'll just carry it up the hill and we'll sacrifice it up there for you. You don't have to do anything. It's really convenient. And then Joe, meanwhile, takes yours, puts it in the stall. Someone else comes by. Oh, i got a great lamb right here. It's already inspected. It's tagged. It's USDA approved, ready to go. 
And that's what started to happen in the temple. They were taking these lambs and they were selling them to the people and taking others and selling those back and lazy worship. I mean, why bring your own? Why not just bring the money to pay for something since it's going to happen anyway? It's very sad. I mean, you get, you get served at the temple because the customer is always wicked, wicked. <laughs> so Jesus is in the temple and he sees us. The next thing he sees are the money changers. This isn't like someone selling coffee or soda in a church. It's not wrong to make a buck if you own a business, but it's wrong to extort people. This is what happens. You ever go to a foreign country and you have to exchange money on foreign soil? You get jacked. That's what happens. I went to, I went to Egypt last year and I called this the white guy tax because I, I get off the plane and it's like, I'm like the one pasty dude standing around. They send me to a separate line. And I walk over and I'm like, hey, let's go. And they're all, okay, that'll be like 50 or 60 bucks. To do what? What's, what's all those people? Well, you're, you're from America. Yeah, give us 60 bucks. Okay. And then I go into the country. It's totally bizarre. I'm at, we're out shopping. And I find this shirt that I want to buy for my wife because it looks really neat. And so I'm like, how much is that? And the guy's like, that's 100 bucks. Like, 100? This is Egypt, man. You guys pay your people two bucks a week to work, and that's a so. This couple of kids are with us, and this little kid goes, "Go stand around the corner. I'll take care of this." And I go, "Okay." So I go stand around the corner. He comes around the corner with the shirt. I go, "How much?" He's five bucks. Five bucks. (laughs) It's insane. See what happened in the temple to them. This started to become business. It was not worship. To go to the temple, you had to pay a temple tax. If you were a male and you were 19 years of age or, age or older, you had to pay a temple tax to get in on Passover. You know why? Because the entire world is your responsibility as a guy. Your duty is the entire world. Everything your responsibility. A temple tax was supposed to pay for this good work of the temple, for the priests, so that single moms and widows and orphans and the non-Jewish and the poor could come and worship God because you were paying for it to happen. The men were not doing their job. So again, business comes in to do the job that worshipers were supposed to do because ministry costs money. Sometimes it costs lots of money. And when God's people don't do what they're called to do, other people get freaked out. They start to cajole people to try and get them to give them money. You see it on TV all the time, buy the magic hanky. If you really love God, you'll give me this, and God will give you 100,000 times back what you gave me, all that kind of stuff. Do you know that the average church today, and I'm not referring to any church in particular, so don't think I am. The average church today, how they build a building, they hire a marketing firm. And they give them their lists and email addresses, and it becomes business. When men over 19 don't do their job, business comes in and tries to fix it. Jewish males at this point were actually supposed to give up to 27% of their income to ministry. Mandatory. Mandatory. Uh, you couldn't really do that, and so the temple wasn't functioning like it was supposed to, and so you have a temple tax after all the other giving. And so if you want to go to the temple, you have to pay the equivalent of two to three days' wages just to get in. But to pay that, you can't use the money in your pocket because there are coins from other nations, and sometimes the coins from other nations have George Washington on them or Caesar's picture on them, and they are usually worshipped as some type of deity. So you couldn't use that to get into the temple of God, so you had to buy special temple money to get in. Hence the money changers in the temple. It's like going to Chuck E. Cheese. It's not American money, it's Chuck E. Cheese money. Okay? And you, can, you give me your dollar, I'll give you two Chuck E. Cheese tokens. That's, that's what I give you. Because it's not real money. And so you go to the temple and the exchange rate is awful and you end up paying five to six days wages to do something that is mandatory. Mandatory. Plus your sacrifice, plus 27% of your money. 
Imagine if I said to you, you got to give me 30% of your income, and if you want to come at Christmas or Easter, that'll cost you 500 bucks. You'd be like, I'm leaving right now. That's, that's what I'm doing. But, but you can't just pay me the 500 bucks. You've got to exchange your money for element money. It's kind of like Monopoly, and uh, it comes to different denominations depending on how much we like you. We'll give you different ones, so you've got to buy our Monopoly money. And if you want to sing a song, well, that's 10 bucks to sing a song. And you know what? To, to hear a message, you want to hear a message? I'm telling you, that's 15 bucks a minute, because I'm good. Okay? <laughs> it's like, I can be long-winded, too. I'm telling you, it just goes on forever. Single moms, the poor, the broke. Well, you can't come, because the men aren't doing their job. So you can't come. I mean, I can't do that because Jesus here, he shows up with a whip and he drives people out and he'd come after me with a whip and that just would not be good. So they need money and to do the work of the temple, but men are not doing their job and so they go about it all wrong. So businesses step in and they squeeze people. They squeeze people. And what does that do to the poor and the foreigners and the widows? They get taken advantage of. Verse 15. So he, that's Jesus, he goes all UFC. Very disappointing fight last night at the end. I just want you to know. He goes all UFC. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Jesus is ticked off. And this is holy, righteous, good angle. anger. you got this picture of Jesus that's kind of given to people a day of this docile, neutered Jesus. Looks like Mr. Rogers with drinking herbal tea with a flower in his hair. That is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. Jesus is a man. This is a great picture of Jesus. I like the picture. Jesus with the whip, flipping over tables, going, You want a piece of this? That's Jesus. It's good. Good picture of Jesus. The other men here, they're not doing their job. So Jesus shows up as a man and says, I will not put up with this. I will not put up with this. The other men there put up with it. They got, they got ripped off. They were lazy. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He goes to the inconvenience of declaring war. Jesus cares enough about God's glory and God's honor to get angry. Because there is a time when anger is justified. When the poor, the single moms, the marginalized, they get ripped off by religious hucksters from Scientology to Mormons to Jehovah's Witnesses to some Christians. In quotes. We sometimes need to get angry. So Jesus goes in, he's angry, and the disciples remember scripture. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is Psalm 69.9. Jesus has a zeal for true worshipers. I mean, can you see the difference between a consumer and a worshiper? Okay? Consumer looks like this. Consumer believes the world is there to meet their needs. Well, I'm going to give you a buck, but you better give me something good in return for my buck. You know, who's going to give me the most for the least? That's a consumer. A worshiper looks and he says, where can I give this that it will benefit and help the most people? That's a worshiper's question. Where the most people are touched with God's love and God's grace. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. We live in a world that is dominated by consumerism. And it creeps into the church. And we look at the work of the gospel as something that competes for our life and our time. And so we figure, how can I give the least to get the most? How do I win? How do I win? And the consumer sees God in church as a place where they get their needs met without any effort on their part, and not ever carrying anything for anybody else. And the worst is when guys have this attitude, and they don't take responsibility for their life, or their church, or family, and they expect everybody else to do it. I mean, this is one of the things, like, I think Make a Difference Day is amazing. Because we go out, and we are doing something to reach and touch other people. You know, we had a sign-up sheet. I mean, I wish on that sign-up sheet it would have been filled front and back with everybody, because everybody should get that. We're living on a mission. We are here to, to touch the world around us in such a way that they see the glory of who God is. 
That's what we do. Consumers only invest in themselves. That is idolatry to self-worship. It is pride. So the religious leaders, the businessmen here, they get very angry because you're losing market share, right? Jesus is driving all your stock out the door, and, and that doesn't really work. Our income is dropping, so they challenge Jesus. Verse 18, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? We are religious, per, religious professionals. This is our place. You know, how dare you come in here and do this? If you give us a sign, that'll at least help. In 1 Corinthians one twenty two, Paul says the Jews always ask for a sign. He goes, but I don't give them one. I just preach Christ crucified. He says, you want a sign? Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's a sign everybody gets, and that's your sign. They go, who are you? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The word for temple here is not just building. It's kind of about the idea of the church, in a sense. It, is, it means the indwelling presence of God is what the word means. It says, destroy the place where the presence of God dwells, and I will rebuild it in three days. And so, he's, and so he's not talking about the temple. He's talking about his body. Verse 20, the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. They, they don't get it. Herod has actually been spending 46 years in the temple. After this day, it took another 20 years to finish the temple that they were actually working on. And he says, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. You want to see a miracle? You destroy the place where God lives, where God dwells. And they say, what? For years, artisans and bricklayers and locals and foreigners and priests have all been working on this place. And you're going to raise it up in three days? They're blind. They don't see what he's actually saying. Jesus says, you want to see a miracle? You kill me, and I will come back. That's what will happen. And I'll show you what authority from God I have. For you and I, this is really the only place of authority that we have to speak of. We can't go, his, his death and his resurrection, we don't get to go and say, give me another sign, give me something. He gave us something. That sign right there, Jesus' death and his resurrection. Jesus says, this whole temple that you have built and all the animals you have killed, the blood that you have shed is all now unnecessary because everything finds fulfillment in him. The temple is the place where sin was atoned for, and that is now in Jesus. The temple is the place where people come and worship God, and that is now in Jesus. The temple is the place where the priest intercedes before God, and that is now in Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus says, you have wasted your time thinking the temple can do for you only what I can accomplish. You want to see a miracle? Kill me, and God will raise me up. Verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. John actually says that's the point of the miracles. You go to John 20, verses 20 and 21, and it says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. The point of the miracles was for belief. The point is to Jesus. It's not for entertainment. It's not for our service. They were for our salvation. It says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knows how fickle our hearts are, and one day we can say, Yay, Jesus, and the next day we can say, Crucify him. So Jesus entrusts himself only to the Father. Now, I'm going to pull all this together for you. and Because i got a really good idea of why I think Jesus is very angry when he walks into the temple. Uh, the place where the corruption is taking place, the location of all this selling, all this corruption, was in what's called the court of the Gentiles. You see this in Mark eleven thirteen. The temple looks like this. I'll show you a picture. Okay, th this is this is the inner part of the temple, and you have a place called the Holy of Holies. Okay, the Holy of Holies. This is the place that only the high priest could go once a year. 
once a year. And outside of that, you have like the court of the priests. These are where all the other priests can go. Okay, and then outside of that, you have the court of the Jewish males. Then outside of that, you have the court of the women. And then outside of all of that, let's hang, I'll slide over and you'll see, this is what's called the court of the Gentiles. That gigantic area right there is called the court of the Gentiles. We actually have another picture that shows you kind of the size of it. Okay? So this is the court of the Gentiles. This is where all this was going on. The people that were the furthest away from God's presence, the court of the Gentiles, where people like you and me, non-Jewish and our descent, could go. It's where we could come and maybe hear about God. Imagine you're curious and you want to know about this God of Israel who loves and wants to bless all people. And where can you go to get an idea about that God? Court of the Gentiles. Supposed to be the place that was paid for by the believing men over 19 years of age, their responsibility, so you could hear about God. In our words, it's where non-Christians could go to learn about God. And so these Gentile men, they would come to the court. It would be filled with people who don't know God, who don't follow God. Some of these men come and they want to worship God. So Abraham's promise that all men could be blessed should, could come through this place in the court of the Gentiles. And what did they do to it? What did they do to it? They turned it into business. There's money and there's bartering and there's chaos. This garbage isn't shoved into the Holy of Holies. It's not shoved into the place where, where all of the religious people are. It's shoved out in the only place where people who didn't know God could come. The only place. And so you're a Gentile, and you go to this place to pray. Maybe hope someone's going to talk to you about who God is. Maybe answer your questions. And you think, I'm going to go on the holiest day of the year. I'm going to go on Easter. I'm going to show up at this place, holiest day of the year, and that's what I'm going to do. And you get there, and it's a flea market, and there's all this stuff going on. And literally, nobody gives a damn about you because they're all lazy worshipers, and they're only concerned about themselves, just about themselves. This happens in the church all the time. People come, and they think the church is about them, what they can get. They don't care about people coming in the door that don't know Jesus, and we leave and we get all mad at each other trying to get out of the parking lot so someone doesn't get in our way. And we become lazy worshipers. These people come, and their first impression of God is all he cares about is my money because that's what his people have turned him into. God's not just. Well, God's not right. He's crooked. His people aren't very impressive. The way they approach God is so disrespectful. Yeah. How sad. And yet the church looks like that today. Now, have you ever, maybe ever felt like one of these Gentiles? You go to a place and you wanted to go someplace where maybe you didn't know about God and someone wanted you to tell you about God. Well, maybe someone will tell me about the God here. And you show up and it kind of looked like this and you were totally turned off. Anybody? Yeah. Happened to me. I was probably one of those people for a while too. Totally turning people off. This is why I hate Christian bumper stickers. I totally cannot stand them. All these cute sayings, in case of rapture, Carl will be unmanned. What does that even mean to somebody who doesn't know Jesus? What does it even mean, period? You know, if you put stuff like that in your car, you better be perfect. You've got to be perfect. I mean, even that, that little saying that says, not perfect, just forgiven, still sounds like I'm better than you. I can't stand that stuff. Many people don't hate God. I think they just don't know him. And we're not doing any good at trying to show people who God actually is. And the things that, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, the things that you've probably forgotten are the things I don't even know yet. 
These people thought worship was about themselves. And it is about God. The most important thing this morning, Jesus Christ and Christianity and element and the Bible, is that it is not about you. It is about God and God getting His glory and God being adored. They'll tell you the nicest thing I've ever told you. Ready? The whole world's wrong. You're welcome. The kingdom of God turns our world upside down. Upside down. You lose your life, you gain your life. It's about people coming to know God. And if you're a guy over 19 years of age and you think that's all about you, you think about Jesus and a whip in his hand, flipping over tables, going, you want a piece of this? I asked you in the beginning, I said, I said why did you come and what did you bring? Because most of us come for ourselves and don't bring anything because there's no tax at the door, there's no mandatory requirement, there's no business. If you just love God, you get to participate in his work. Well, what do I get for my money? Nothing. Sometimes. Someone else gets it. Maybe someone who doesn't know God gets it. This runs counter to everything that we have been told. Everything. You bring money, you get something. No, you bring money, someone else gets something. That's grace. That is grace. That's the kingdom of God. I mean, I remember when I attended uh, a couple gathering of believers the, the first few times. And someone else paid the rent. Someone else paid the pastor's salary at that church. You know, and someone else paid for everything. And I got to hear about God. I'd never pay for that as a non-Christian. Why, why would I? And then later I came to an understanding about Jesus, became a believer, and now I give so others can hear as well. For thousands of years, people have given in such a way so the message can go forward. I mean, I realized in a point in my life that it was my turn. So the message goes out beyond, beyond me. Worship is about God. It is not about us. The people in Scripture this morning went to the temple on the holiest day of the year. And they forgot about God. May that never be true of us. Ever. Your salvation has nothing to do with your money. But I will tell you, how you live the Christian life has an awful lot to do with your heart. Paul twice in the New Testament says that we are the temple of God. Where does the presence of God now dwell? In us. In the church, not a building, in the people. And my prayer is that people enter element and they don't know God, they would never walk away confused because we're a bunch of knuckleheads you know, that don't know a whole lot about what he calls us to do and be. But we live in such a way that people see him clearly. I mean, we do get lots of visitors. A lot don't stay. I blame a lot of that on me. Okay? Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say, but whatever. The deep question is this. <laughs> Nothing like ruin in a moment. <laughs> Deep question is this, guys. This right here. Do people see God through your life? Do people see God through your life? That's the question. This is a great opportunity, especially this morning. Like, why are you here? Okay, why are you here? I mean, if you don't know Jesus, why are you here? You came to this place and listened to me yell at you for half an hour. Why are you here? If you do know Jesus, why are you here? Is it making you want to go out and live for him? If you come here and it's just about you, I don't know if you should come here. Because this is who I am. I'll keep telling you, get off your butt and go do something for people. Why are you here? Second thing, what did you bring? You bring your sin, your fears, your weakness, your money, your prayers, your songs, your friends. You bring everything and you lay it before Jesus because that's the point of worship. We worship who he is. We lay everything at his feet because it is about Jesus it is not about us we care about people's eternal destiny we care about their souls 
We care about people because God cares about people. The band's going to come up. And as I do, the thing we do every week is we take communion. And communion reminds us, hopefully, not to be lazy worshipers. Because communion reminds us, as you break that cracker, Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice and it represents his blood that was shed for us. That's not lazy. And so we remember that and we worship God because of the things he has done for us and because it's for his glory. We worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders in the back of the room that will pray with you. And maybe you've gotten to the place where you're like, man, I've become such a consumer. And I want to learn how to be a worshiper. You go and pray with them and they'll pray with you. We're going to worship God through some songs as Sean leads. Take a couple minutes to sit and just reflect a little bit. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to? I'm going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back of the room because God gave so much for us. And we worship God through fellowship. When we're done, and there's not a lot of room in here with all the chairs, go in the back room, go outside, hang out, meet somebody. I mean, one of the reasons that Jesus also died was so God could reconcile the world to himself. We could be reconciled to each other. Relationships could be built again. And that we could make a difference in the world in which we live. Worship God through fellowship. Guys, this week, remember, it is about Jesus. It is not about you. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as a people and you would change us from being lazy into being people who truly worship you. God, you reset our focus to where it is supposed to be. And that we would understand that the depth that you have called us to. That we would care about people in such a way that we do not want them to be damned. But we want them lifted up and restored. God, that all people are eternal. And that we are not temporary. And even the people that we despise the most are still eternal have us empty ourselves know you and learn to care for the world the way you care for the world help us to be your people amen